Kaufman, or Katie, leads the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, or OPEC's Global Women's Initiative. She came to this role from the venture capital world where she was a founding partner at New Magellan Ventures. She's worked on Capitol Hill, as well as in national security, diplomacy, and defense. We'll talk to her today about the connection that she sees between investing in women, the work of OPEC, and the future of national security. Katie, welcome to She Said, She Said. We're so happy to have you. Thank you so much, Laura. It's so wonderful uh, to be with you today. And thank you so much for coming to our office here at OPIC. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for hosting us. So for those who don't know, what is OPIC? So it's not an oil cartel, which is uh, where I think most people believe that I work. OPIC, or Overseas Private Investment Corporation, is the United States government's development finance institution. Our ultimate goal is to support private sector growth in emerging markets and transition economies from aid recipients to strong, stable contributors. We do that through investing in emerging markets, through debt products, support to private equity funds, and also through political risk insurance. Interesting. Okay, your role is specifically focused on investment in women. Let's talk about what that looks like. What do you do here? So Overseas Private Investment Corporation has been in existence since 1971. We have supporting women in the DNA of this institution because we work in developing markets and we have been supporting base of pyramid folks for a long time, and that includes women. What's different about what we're doing now is we're calling it out as our top priority for two reasons, uh, because we believe in economic growth and because we believe in strong, stable communities. And we think that women are key drivers to achieving both. So this has brought women to the forefront of not just what I do, but what everyone does here at OPIC. We're making an institutional change. So let me break that down into two components. On the one hand, we've established a billion-dollar fund to invest in women. That's a $350 million OPIC commitment. For every dollar that OPIC invests, we catalyze three private sector dollars. So that's a billion-dollar commitment to provide women around the world with access to capital, jobs, skills, products, and services. That's a lot of uh, capital to put out there, and it's going to send a message to the market how important that is to us. So that's really the externally facing piece of this. Mm -hmm. Now we're looking internally. We are changing the way we do business to add a gender lens to our existing investment strategy. What does that mean? If you looked at the portfolio, the OPIC portfolio, the two largest sectors of investment are financial services and energy. Mm -hmm. How does gender happen in a utility project? Right. Women are 50% of the consumers here. So when we're talking to our clients, to our utility uh, companies, we're asking them simple questions, not pointing our fingers and saying, how many women are on your board, but asking them, who uses your electricity? How do they use it? Do you, want, do you have a breakdown of gender uses? And when you are considering this, do you take a look and look at your managers to see that you have diversity representation there to represent your customers? It's a good practice for every business. If you're a bank, very simply, you're asking, are your borrowers male or female? Again, we're not trying to point a finger. We're trying to look for business opportunities for these financial institutions. 
the most inspiring thing for me about how we're adding that gender lens is really the opportunity side of this. Not so that gender is considered an environmental consideration, a labor consideration, something that will add cost or add time to a transaction. Rather, this is an opportunity to open up our clients to uh, the fact that women are great consumers and we can provide a lot of the economic growth. Now let's get to the stability side of it. As I mentioned, our two main pillars are growth and stability. On the stability side, when women earn a competitive income, they spend 90% of it on their families, on their children's education, their aging parents' health care. By comparison, men spend between 30 and 40%. So, And this is true whether you're talking about investment in the U.S. or whether you're talking about investment globally. That is such a great question, Laura, and I should have been more clear. This is really, this 90% is looking at um, the very base of the pyramid and in the emerging markets. And it's it's really talking about the women that are driving their communities. It's not true for every woman everywhere. But where we're doing a lot of the work, it is true. So when we are saying we want to tackle the greatest challenges that face communities, healthcare, education, gender-based violence, it just makes sense to empower women. Katie, give me an example of the kinds of ways that you're investing in women. Are we talking about access to capital? Are we talking about what what kinds of products is OPEC facilitating? So we, at OPIC, we invest in everything from microfinance institutions to large infrastructure projects and the full gamut in between. Um, one of my favorite projects that we invest in that we know has an outsized impact on women is access to clean water. Women across the continent of Africa spend hundreds of millions of hours collectively every day trying to get access to clean water. And they're putting their families at risk and their self at risk while they're doing so. By providing access to clean water, it opened up an enormous amount of opportunity. And that's an area that uh, we are focused on. Another area, as you mentioned, is access to capital. We're working with financial institutions all over the emerging world to say, What are the institutional changes you can make, not so that you have a one-off $100 million that you're saying you will on-lend to women, but what are the changes you can make in your institution to make this permanent? Can you collect sex-disaggregated data? Can you create financial products that target women? And then can you look internally and say, does my staff and my management reflect my customers so that I'm sure I'm understanding the needs of my entire customer base and not just half my customer base. Those are some of the big picture um, areas where we're investing in women, but it's quite broad. And as I think I mentioned before, we're really applying this gender lens to every single transaction. How do you do that? So how, how do you truly apply a gender lens to every transaction? So it's our biggest challenge and it's our biggest opportunity. On the challenge side, When I first came to OPIC, a lot of the investment officers here who are working at OPIC because they believe in the mission, these are all amazing individuals that could be making a lot of money in Wall Street, and they're not because they believe in what OPIC does. And even though they care about gender, they saw the whole gender space and the gender lens as another screen that would go on their investments that could cause problems for them to getting more dollars out the door. 
that's not what we want to do. We want to get more dollars out the door. We want to have better financial returns, and we want to have better development impact. And if you understand gender, you will have both by applying that lens. So what does that mean? First of all, we've brought in some experts to help us. They have an investment background, and they understand that there are gender patterns, and those patterns have an impact on financial performance. So we're trying to be better investors, and we're taking a sectoral approach. So for example, um, we're looking at financial institutions. What are the key insights that every transaction officer here needs to understand about gender and financial institutions? What are the key questions we need to be asking our clients, and how can we apply those quickly so that our clients believe there's a benefit for them to understanding this? Same is true for energy, housing, small and medium enterprises, on down to to every investment that we make. Katie, talk a little bit about the public-private partnership aspect. How does that work at OPEC? You're a government entity of sorts, but kind of not. And how do you partner with the private sector? Explain to me how that works. Well, I love that you say that we are not, because (laughs) I think you get that feel here. You're sitting in our office. It doesn't feel like a government agency. And that's not the mindset of the transaction officers and the leadership here. We very much need to keep up with the private sector and need to bring our private sector partners with us to places that they might not otherwise go. Mm. So we've, we actually are a federal uh, agency. I am a federal employee. And I strongly believe that it is our job here at OPIC to bring our private sector partners, private capital, mobilize them to establish that strong footing in developing markets, again, so that those economies can transition to contributors, so that those economies can become more stable and the people can become uh, more stable as well. Can you give some examples of who private sector partners would be? Are they typically like large financial institutions that people would have heard of, or are they smaller entities that people might not have heard of? It also is going to have that full range. Um, we make investments from 400000 to $250 million. So, of course, you're going to get that same range of partnership with those level of investment. On the financial services side, we have some large institution uh, commercial banks like Citi or Wells Fargo that you may have heard of. But we also have some private equity funds uh, like Global Partnerships out of Seattle, who I'm sure most Americans have not heard of, but that invest quite well all over the world for development impact. And again, we're getting market returns, but we're doing it in places that otherwise these private sector entities wouldn't be. What about the impact on things like pandemics and you know, national security threats? What about impact on those types of things? You know, if you're looking at any sort of post-conflict zone or tenuous situation, if you can give people a job, if you can give people hope and give them a type of community where they need to get up in the morning and they feel empowered um, to, to take care of their family, the private sector creates nine out of 10 jobs in these places. So our job is to support private sector growth and give these communities the stability they need to encourage even more of that. I think there's no better tool to combat extremism. I also believe that empowering women is right up there. I hear a lot of times people coming up with these really off the wall ideas about how we should 
use fintech to uh, combat extreme you know that i think these are all great but we're not being uh using our common sense if we're not looking right at what makes communities tick. And that is, that is in many cases, the women. What drew you to this work? Well, if I'm being totally honest, I was unexpectedly asked uh, and offered this position by our new president and CEO, Ray Washburn. I met Ray when I was in Texas. I was at my venture capital firm, and I was raising capital for one of our portfolio companies, and I had pitched Ray to invest. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't invest, but did call me about a year later and let me know that he was coming to OPIC and that he would like to make empowering women one of his top priorities and would I be interested. When I flew to Dallas to tell him that I just didn't picture myself going into the public sector. He was so compelling about linking strong, stable communities with women and the mission of OPIC and how this was going to be the new way of doing business here and how every transaction would be looked at through this lens. He was a great uh, salesperson, and I feel so blessed that I took the opportunity because I just love every minute here. And I It does so happen that my um, educational background is in national security, and I spent some time working for Secretary Gates doing U.S.-China defense policy. Mm -hmm. How does this complement that? Yeah, so I think back to the core mission of what OPIC is and why we have brought this women's empowerment to the forefront because of economic prosperity and global stability. And they all come back and they're all related. There's this other interesting aspect going on of an alternative approach that China's putting forward with their development work, which is uh, quite different, I think, than the opportunity that the United States brings forward, which is more democratic, uh, more inclusive of all people, including women. So I think on every front, I'm just delighted with the OPIC mission and the fact that President Washburn has brought women to the forefront. So, Katie, I understand that this the, the Global Women's Initiative is branded 2X. What's the significance of that? So it has a lot of meetings. First, I should start with the fact that just having a brand for me personally was one of the first things I did when I took this job. Why? Because Washington doesn't need another acronym that no one can say. <laughs> um, I just didn't want a, another clumsy acronym was the first reason. I also just believe in general in the power of branding for a corporation, for an initiative. It's very important that your brand represents your values, and that's exactly what 2X does. 2X represents the multiplier effect of investing in women. That's back to that what women spend their income on. It represents the female chromosome. And it also represents the multiplier catalytic effect that OPIC has on private capital. So for every dollar we're putting in, we're at least putting two more private sector dollars in there. And so we wanted to encompass all of that with this brand. And I'm very proud of it. I think it does work. Recognizing that this increased commitment, this has only been over the course of about six months or so, but have you had an opportunity to realize some of those gains and hear stories that are coming out of that investment so far? Yeah, so I'll talk about maybe two from two different angles. On the one hand, what 2X and the gender lens has done for OPIC is it's allowed us to have different conversations with our clients than we had in the past. So for example, we've invested in a rideshare company in South Africa. Wouldn't think a huge gender component. But now that we're asking all of our clients these types of questions, we've asked them, 
do you know what percentage of your drivers are women? Do you know what percentage of your customers are women? And the response from that, which started off a little bit hesitant as though they weren't quite sure, when they went back and looked at it, actually they had a quite strong female workforce Hmm. and those female drivers were outperforming their male drivers. They were taking more profitable routes. They had much lower insurance claims. So there are these really interesting patterns um, that women have and it's that client has uh, repeatedly thanked us for asking these questions. And that inspires me because we always want to provide value. We always want to be seen, again, as this opportunity lens, not as something that's going to cost people something or something that really drives me crazy is when people say, well, I I do care about women, but I don't want to lower our standards and don't want to lower our credit uh, policy. And, you know, Yes, it's my least favorite comment, yes. but you wouldn't you would uh, be surprised how often I, often we hear it. So that one response from the rideshare is something that uh, I particularly enjoy. And the other is um, through a I won't mention the name because it's under consideration for investment, but um, again, it's a fund that invests in emerging markets. Be, they've looked at their own investments, they're very dedicated to impact, and they on their own came to the realization that they have the most impact on communities if they target women and if they focus on women. And so we have, uh, they've shared that with us and we've doubled down on our commitment to them, hopefully to be confirmed at our next board meeting. Um, And that's another partnership that really inspires me because I know we can track that impact and it's just, um, it's so meaningful. How do you measure success? You're investing in a lot of different areas, some really large, some much smaller. How do you measure success across the board? What does that look like? So I'm going to take that as a little bit of a personal question on how I measure success in my job here at OPIC with the deployment of 2X. And I think it's, it's again, twofold. Number one, how much money have we gotten into the hands of women? That's really important to me because we have to put the capital out the door. We have to be action-oriented. A much more difficult measure of success, but one that I spend much more of my time on and I'm equally passionate about, is I will feel successful when our transaction officers just intuitively feel and know how to ask these gender-related questions and feel that they're better investors because of it. Mm. I've seen that with several, um, but it takes time. And so there's a lot of institutional changes that come with this, but the only way it can be successful if there's true buy-in from the investment officers. So we have made some institutional changes here. We have applications that we've changed to ask gender-related questions. We have self-monitoring questionnaires that we've changed. And maybe something that is exciting and interesting to your listeners, when I first pitched this 2X initiative to our board, to the OPIC board, which is a 13-person board, um, I pitched it to all males and one female board member who was rolling out. And, you know, that didn't really sit well because part of this initiative is asking (laughs) companies in Honduras to have 30% board representation by females. So we can't very well have credibility and not hold that mirror up to ourselves. Um, so we are embarking on a first of go- uh, uh, effort where we will be the very first U.S. government agency to get EDGE certified. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with LEED certification, but it's an internationally rec- um, recognized green building certification. Mm-hmm. This is very similar. It's out of Switzerland, internationally recognized. Many Fortune 500 companies have gone through it, and it does a 
inside out look at your corporation and helps you get to the best place possible in terms of equality. So this is, again, something I'm so excited about. I hope the rest of the U.S. government takes lead. And more importantly, I hope our private sector partners uh, join in. So you have a board of 13 members, and the board is making determinations about where the investments are happening. Is that how that works? What does the board do? So we're like any other financial institution that makes decisions. We have um, screening process, due diligence, um, evaluation committee, investment committee, and finally the board. So on investments that we make that are over $50 million in size, the board does need to approve those. And the board is made up, as very much we've talked a lot about with OPIC, 50% private sector and 50% public sector. As with many government programs, OPIC is not entirely without controversy, rightly or wrongly. Can you address some of the concerns that have been raised with regard to OPIC and why you believe the controversy is or the criticism is unfounded? Sure. So I believe what you're referring to is some some type of criticism that we may distort a market or um, displace private capital in some way, just not be in accordance with free market values. I'm not sure I entirely understand that argument because I, I disagree with it so strongly, but I'm going to do my best to tell you why. And that is, there's a continuum of development. The United States has been a leader in the world. If from before, everyone points to the Marshall Plan, but we've been a leader in the world in helping those in need. And I think that's a huge part of who America is and how we're a leader in, in the free world. And um, you have USAID that provides grants. And OPIC is on that continuum. So once an economy is stabilized, the free market may not be ready to invest. But if they come alongside with OPIC, with the backing of the United States government, we can bring free market values, we can bring private sector capital into these, frankly, riskier places that it might not otherwise go to provide that private sector growth that these economies so desperately need. And you know, the hope is that we work ourselves out of a job there and that this just becomes a strong free market. And and we've we've seen that in some countries and and we then take them off our list. We then no longer do business there. We are actually mandated to only be uh, crowding in private capital. We cannot pr- crowd out private capital. So I should also note for, for our taxpayers, we return over $300 million to the U.S. Treasury. So we are a net deficit reduction agency. I don't know. I'm having a hard time finding the arguments to, to come back at for that. But um, Yeah, thank you. No, that's helpful. That's very helpful. What's the most challenging part of your job here? Well, I, I work with uh, the executive branch, and I also work with my other agency colleagues, and sometimes that process is challenging. What we've tried to do is set a new standard and say, when it comes to women's empowerment, we're going to work together and we're going to be more coordinated. Um, I have a, a great friend and colleague who's over at USAID who also has the gender portfolio, and she and I have worked on crafting an MOU between USAID and OPIC to say that we'll be more coordinated on this. Um, so it's a challenge, but it's also an opportunity. So um, I, w- I will leave that as my, my number one challenge. I'm sure the job comes with a healthy degree of stress, which you've just alluded to. What do you do to unwind? Have to run. <laughs> I've got two dogs. Um, so I've got to snuggle my dogs, and I've got to run with my dogs. And, you know, I eat a lot with my husband. So between those three things, um, it keeps me balanced. Yeah. How do, you, how do you bounce back from a particularly tough day? 
how do you sort of overcome if it, I mean, whether we call it failure or whether you call it a setback, what does your recovery process look like? So I have to give a lot of credit to my credit to my husband. And my mother-in-law once told me that if you didn't marry the partner you deserve, you better make him the partner you deserve. And I'm very (laughs) fortunate that my mother-in-law gave me the most wonderful partner. I'm sure I don't deserve him. But he and I talk through a lot of failures uh, or challenges. So I would say that's my number one mechanism. But the overriding thing that either he reminds me or I remind myself is we think a lot about the women in these emerging markets to the point where I've told my husband, I'm sorry, I'm never going to make money again because I'm addicted to just the impact and the fact that even when you have a hard day, you can look at the end of the day and say, but we're making lives better where it where it matters most. Um, and that's it's pretty, pretty hard to stay gloom when, uh, when you've got that going for you. Is that where meaning comes from for you as it relates to this role and the work that you're doing here? Absolutely. And this has been focused on OPIC, but it's also, for me, a global effort. I've been socializing with some of my other DFI counterparts and DFI uh, development finance institutions so most developed economies have these and we are putting together under the UK's leadership a a gender collaborative with other development finance institutions and have come up with the 2x challenge so we're challenging our global partners to approach gender in the way that OPEC has both with financial commitments and with the lens that um, we're going to apply to all investments not sure when this will be broadcast but we're hoping to announce that at the G7 uh, this weekend so for me, this is a global thing. This is something where we're saying and sending a message to markets, hey, this matters, and this is a huge opportunity, and, and everyone's getting on board from, a, from an entire uh, G7 perspective. So um, we're inviting others to join us, and that's really exciting. Since you're in a government role that will inevitably come to an end at some point in time, we don't know exactly when, do you see yourself working in this space over the long term? I see myself working in the impact space over the long term. I can't imagine whether I'm involved in real estate or finance, whatever it is, I will absolutely apply the impact lens to whatever I'm doing. And the gender piece as well, once you understand these types of issues and gender patterns and you just are sort of opened up to this whole new world, uh, you never leave it. I think whatever I do next, it will make me much better at what I do. We ask each of our guests to leave us with a single piece of advice or a life hack or a mantra, either something that you repeatedly tell yourself or something that you consistently share with others. What is your best piece of advice or life hack? I think it is that failure really does make you stronger. And that sounds so cheesy, but it is absolutely true. And every time you fail, you learn something. You just have to to keep working. So I would say that's my, that and, you know, be grateful are my two, two life mantras. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for doing this, Katie. So nice to see you. Thank you so much, Laura. It was really fun. It was a pleasure.
To learn more about Katie, you can go to our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There will include show notes, including links to OPEC and to Katie's bio, as well as some photographs from today's visit. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.